In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Well, spring ball is officially in the books. Badgers were on the field for the final time this morning. They went short compared to some of the other practices that we've seen. And it was a spirited end of the practice, special teams-wise. We'll get into that and uh, some of the other observations from practice. But first, a little bit of news stuff this morning, Jesse. We're going to start with uh, the news that I think is going to continue to break and continue to uh, pile up even as uh, we get done recording this. So as we're recording this Thursday afternoon, the transport will open for another three days, open through the 30th. Three corners have now entered the portal for Wisconsin. We saw Avion Jones the other day, and now uh, Curry lied, and Al Ashford have joined him in the portal. And I don't think it's a huge surprise. Certainly, Avion Jones and Curry lied were, were buried in the depth chart. Al Ashford's situation, I think we talked about when uh, he was off the team and then he wasn't off the team, so I don't think we need to get into that. But they were looking for corners for a reason. They wanted to uh, install some depth, and it, these other guys probably were not going to be a part of their plans. Yeah, if you look at the roster, their top-line cornerbacks are very good and very experienced, which we've talked about throughout the spring. Alexander Smith and Ricardo Holman on the outside, Boston College transfer Jason Matry in the slot. Smith has played in 43 career games with eight starts. Matry's played in 43 career games with 30 starts. And Holman has 12 career games with the eight starts he made last season. But there is clearly a significant drop-off in experience with the reserves. By the time spring practice ended, Wisconsin's top two second-team corners on the outside were freshman early enrollees, Jonas Duclona and Jay Sarnold. And I think both have bright futures, uh, and they had opportunities where they made some plays. But this staff is trying to evaluate uh, how much better they can be if they can land a couple guys in the transfer portal or, or at least one to help out because there just isn't there's hardly any experience after the top three. Amon Williams, who's their second team slot corner, got first team reps on Thursday with Matry injured. He's played 12 games as reserve. A lot of that's been special teams. That's it. <laughs> so you've got to be able to bring in some people. And that's why we've seen Wisconsin clearly trying to add there. You see a handful of players tweet out offers players who are in the portal. We've seen Antonio Carter from Rhode Island, and he tweeted some pictures on Thursday that he's on a visit right now on campus. So that's certainly very serious. Markavius Brown from Ole Miss, Jaquez Robinson from Alabama. These are players that Wisconsin is interested in. I don't know who they're going to end up with, but I won't be surprised if they add at least one, maybe more, depending on the scholarship situation at cornerback, because right now, they have to have it. But the ones that left, um, you know, this is not to me uh, a panic freak out moment. Look at this mass exodus. We're talking about guys who were not going to have a significant role next season based on everything we saw in the spring. Jones started out as the second team corner, slipped to the third team, lied, never really rose above the third team. And Ashford, uh, as you said, I mean, he didn't even participate in spring practice. He wasn't on the roster. He was still enrolled in school. He had planned to come back for the summer. But these were guys who were certainly going to have to fight just to have a chance to get into the two deep. Yeah. So, again, this isn't going to be the end of it. I believe a Curry lied, knocks them down to at 85, but they're going to add. And uh, we, we know they're going to add. 
It's just a matter of how many they are able to add because there's going to be more guys heading into the portal. As I said before, I believe as we get done with this, uh, we're going to be probably, it's going to be out of date by the time, even by the time we get done here. Cause I think there's probably some other guys that, that we'll hear about uh, throughout the next day or so leading into the 30th. But the guys only have to be in the portal by the 30th. They don't actually have to pick a place by the 30th. So even if, you know, Wisconsin doesn't sign one or doesn't get a commitment here in the next day or so before the 30th, that's that, that's not the end of roster building. Roster building is going to continue through the month of May, and uh, we'll see exactly who all ends up here. I think we should let's, – let's stay on this topic because I think Luke Fickle was kind of asked about his questions. You asked him about some of the questions he had coming out of spring ball. And one of them was just the offensive line and how that first group is all going to pan out. But the other two I thought were roster questions, right? He talked about the secondary and they also talked about punter potentially needing to do something there and get something figured out of the punt. Cause we saw the punting team today in it uh, with Jack Van Dyke and Gavin Myers, and it was not overly impressive. So I, it might not just be defensive back. It might be another position or two, especially punter. Yeah, I think based on what we saw, they've they've got to have more consistency there. And you can say that uh, you don't want to make too much of one practice, just like we didn't want to make too much of a practice when Tanner Mordecai threw four interceptions in an open scrimmage. But he had 14 other practices to back up why that felt like more of an aberration, Uh, whereas they did not have a ton of punting opportunities uh, because they punt indoors. You don't necessarily know what it looks like. This was the most extensive action that both Jack Van Dyke and Gavin Myers got, and I took unofficial stats, so I, I guess I will start with that. But I think Van Dyke punted eight times, and he averaged just over 35 yards. And to me, he's clearly got a stronger leg, or at least that's my impression, than Gavin always Myers. Does. He can he can, he can can get better hang time, but he doesn't always connect in the way that you need. And, and there's some good examples on both ends just from Thursday's practice. His first punt traveled 46 yards. It was an absolute beauty. Will Pauling was under it. He had to fair catch it. That's what you want to flip the field. But he had one punt that rolled out of bounds that went for 31 yards and, and a couple punts that just you you cannot have, even if it's a cold, blustery morning in Camp Randall Stadium. One popped straight up in the air and traveled 17 yards. And there was another punt where he was backed up in, in his end zone. And, and again, this was a, a special teams heavy scrimmage. They had a, a kick scrimmage and a lot of situational punting, but they backed him up so that he was at his own two. And it was just a, a low line drive that Vinny Anthony caught at the 35 with a running start that allowed him to get inside the 10. Um, and since these are the opportunities that the coaching staff is trying to evaluate and that we as reporters are are seeing in person, it makes you wonder if that's your best option, then maybe you do need to try and bring something else in. Myers was uh, better than Van Dyke was on Thursday, but he's been the number two all spring. I think he punted six times, but even three of those traveled under 40 yards. So, I mean... Kudos to Fickle for answering the question directly, and and he said that they wanted to put people in in pressure situations, things that uh, to see how they would handle it. But he said he's a little bit concerned that they have to figure some things out with punter, and and that's one of his big quest- questions coming out of this is where are we at kicker wise, and um, I don't know who's going to be available at that spot, but they're certainly I would imagine going to be looking because if they're looking at all these other positions. To me, that might be the biggest question mark out of spring out of any of these because you just don't necessarily know what you're going to get, and you cannot have that at punter. Open tryouts. Maybe. Open tryouts. Do you have any eligibility left? I don't. Uh, I'd be the soccer-style kicker, though, though I haven't played since high school, so I don't think it would go very well. little rugby style for you? 
Little, Maybe uh, yeah, they they have been working on it. So they have. If, you, if they if they roll me out to the left since I'm lefty, I think I could maybe pull off a thirty yarder. But I don't think that's what they're looking for. Wait, I didn't know you're a lefty. I am a lefty, right-handed, left-footed. It makes no sense. I was gonna say when you swing a golf club, you you swing it right-handed. That's because I'm right-handed. I don't even know how that's possible. You are. I'm an anomaly, Zach. You are. You are. You are different. When you know how everyone says how oh, that guy's different, you yeah. truly are. Yes, you I are, actually am. You are different. Um, well, that'd be interesting. I don't think I've ever seen somebody roll out to the left. Do you, do you remember uh, Brett Bielma? He had a left-footed and uh, a guy who could punt with either leg, and uh, he thought it was some kind of an advantage, like as if the uh, ball is going to spiral and, and carry a different way for the punt returner. Okay. This wasn't this wasn't Wisconsin, so yes, yeah, I uh, I don't think it really matters either way. Hunter, we got to see a ton of it today. We'll get we'll get to the practice in a second. In terms of the transfer portal, and I talked about yeah. this with Colt with Colton yesterday. Cornerback, punter, anywhere else? Well, they are interested in the the linebacker Jaheim Thomas, right? From yeah. Cincinnati. Um, I think that's I think one that's, of those. If if you can get a guy, <laughs> I think if you, you can know, get him, you get him. Right. Exactly. I think there's not very many of those when the scholarship situation is the way that it is. But generally speaking, I, I think they've got to be pretty judicious in how they handle this right because you just talked about it there may be a handful more that enter but right now they're sitting right around that 85 number i don't know that they're going to have very many to play with but they might have one or two um yeah i mean the the one that may come up and i'm sure this was addressed too but like i still don't know who their number three running back is at the same time just like in basketball do you want to come in and pick a school if you're not even going to be in the top two and i don't really know that there's anybody available there um, but beyond that, I, I, I don't think there's a ton that they would necessarily be looking for. Um, cause they've got, they've got some depth at, at other positions. Um, and I mean, you know, you could go down the list, but you got four or five outside linebackers. You, you certainly like your, your top three at inside linebacker. And if, again, if you could add, <laughs> that would be good, but don't need to, you've got a bunch of safeties. So I don't think that there's a lot, I mean, Maybe, you know, I don't know. Like, would you want more on the defensive line? Yeah, but you also didn't have Darian Varner who was hurt. And if he's healthy in the fall, then that's kind of like a a free agent addition too because you just didn't have him in the spring. So I'm not sure I see a ton. It'll be interesting because, again, they're going to have as many scholarships as they want this first year, Jesse. I mean, do you – I don't – I guess I shouldn't say it. I don't – I guess I don't see Luke Fickle running guys off, but – he could have as many as he want. He could do the, he's not going to do the Dion. He's not going to do the Colorado thing, but I mean, he could, they could have as many as they want just because they have that ability. Uh, if they desperately need this position or that position, they could do it. It would go against what he has typically talked about. And, you know, but it's, it's a possibility if they want, if they desperately need a spot, they could, they'll be able to find a spot because they have that ability to do it. So um, again, I don't think they will, but never say never. We're in that. I, I, I'm never going to say never about anything ever again. Does that make sense? No. Uh, yes, uh, because uh, I, you've, you've already said that after the Paul Chris situation that uh, nothing will nothing will ever surprise right. you again. Right. But I said I'm never going to say never again. So yeah. Um, moving on, recruiting. Wisconsin yeah. gets a eighth commitment in the 2024 class. It is safety Camille Prescott out of Philadelphia, a uh, three star safety. Came down to Nebraska. I know he had an offer from Penn State, offer from Michigan State. 
a bunch of offers, actually. And uh, he has chosen Wisconsin. He visited earlier in April. Um, it's a it's the first defensive back in the class and the third defensive player overall. Yeah, this class is coming together pretty nicely. Um, and in a lot of previous years, Wisconsin did a lot of its damage very early. And that was one of the things that, to me, stood out about the Badgers recruiting success before, let's say, the last few years is they identified talent early. They got them up here. And they got those commitments. So by the time you even got to the end of summer, Wisconsin was essentially done. And so they're starting to stack now. They've got those eight commitments, like you said. It's a top 20, 25 class right now, although a lot of that, at least in my opinion, is based on volume. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think the staff's doing a pretty good job at this point. To me, what I'm really looking at is what's going to happen in June because those are when the guys take officials, and that is when Wisconsin absolutely crushes it traditionally because you get some of these out-of-state guys on campus for a beautiful day in Madison, and it's really hard to turn down. And and honestly, I think they'll probably wind up all but done by the time June is over. Um, but, yeah, Kamir Prescott, another good ad, 6'1", 190-pound safety, and uh, and just trying to build depth and build what's going to be a quality class. It's a, I mean, it's a good get. I, I don't know. Eh. I guess we don't know exactly with those offers, uh, but you know, Penn state's taking a couple guys from Wisconsin, Wisconsin now taking a, a guy from, from uh, Philadelphia. I know Penn state was one of his first offers, but uh, a good get for Wisconsin and uh, the, the eighth commitment, as you said, and Luke fickle said, he goes, you know, June is really like the month that recruiting is for your next class. Like that, that is when it's done. Um, that is, that is when it really ramps up. And so they'll have a little bit of time off here, the football players that is after spring ball, but the coaches have to dive right back into it and, uh, and start working even harder to, to firm things up. And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure as soon as they got done, Max and Pat were like handing them notes of things that they had to do for recruiting. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like as soon as they get off the field today, but yes, Kamir Prescott, the latest addition. Um, all right. Practice today. It was not the normal big time practice, but they were in full pads and there were uh, several highlights in the 11 on 11. Um, I'll let you, I'll let you take care of that. Yeah. So I think a lot of fans saw Tanner Mordecai on Saturday and just thought, what the hell this is, this is what Wisconsin got out of it. And I want to repeat that that is those two hours were not indicative of how consistently good he was throughout the spring. I felt like he rarely made bad decisions and put the ball in locations that gave his receivers chances to make plays. And, and he did that on Thursday. Um, and maybe you could say it's more notable because it was actually outside. Some of this was red zone and red zone skeleton. Um, so, I mean, that that always comes, I think, with a little bit of a caveat. But he put balls on guys basically in the only place where they could get him. He had one throw. It was just an absolute dart between two linebackers that Will Pollen caught for a 10-yard touchdown pass. And then he came right back and threw a strike to Chimray DK in the back of the end zone. He just led him perfectly. Chimray had a, a little step on cornerback through it. It was a nine yard touchdown pass. And, and you asked Luke fickle after the practice about how Tanner had bounced back from Saturday. And uh, I mean, he, and he mentioned this on the radio broadcast afterward too, on Saturday, that even during that practice, he felt like Tanner never got down on himself, never got, uh, you know, too low and bounced back. Even in that practice, it didn't necessarily show up in terms of touchdown passes, but I think uh, he's talked multiple times about Tanner's maturity and, and his demeanor and how he's handled things and the experience that he has obviously as a two-year starter. So I like the way that Mordecai ended practice. Um, and like, I would say the majority of those practices, he, he looked really good. 
And there were some other big plays too. Um, we thought Chimray DK was everywhere. I know that he had a practice like this a week or two ago, but if you threw the ball in his direction, he was going to catch it. And so to me, it was just a little bit of a reminder that uh, he's one of your top playmakers, had some really good diving grabs up the sideline, keeping a foot in bounds. And Keontes Lewis, to me, had another big day. He had one catch. Tanner Mordecai threw it to him up the left side, and it was a 30-yard gain. Moe Latu, who loves to just level dudes, it seems like he lowers his shoulder. He hit, he delivered a punishing blow, and Lewis still held on. And and he Lewis had another really good catch inside the five. It was an over-the-shoulder catch up the sideline. It, um, so, again, a lot of plays being had, and it's very clear that they've got what they believe is a top five at, at wide out because you can see them rotating them with the first team. It's, it's Chimray DK, CJ Williams, Will Pauling, but Skylar Bell and Keontes Lewis continue to get consistent looks with the first team. And I think we're probably both wondering what does this look like when Bryson green is healthy? I imagine he's probably going to find a way to get in there, but they've got so many uh, talented wide receivers. I just, uh, it helps to be in this offense. It helps to have 12 on scholarship, but I, I can't remember a season where it was quite like this. It does help to have all those bodies. And it yes. also leads me to believe that not all those bodies will be here at the end of it because they want to play. Again, Transportal has just messed uh, all this up looking forward. Like you can't even do like a, a post-spring wrap-up because you just don't know who's going to be there, <laughs> uh, um, you know, the next day. But the wide receivers obviously stood out all spring. Tanner Mordecai, Brayden Locke, quarterbacks. We've seen, obviously, tight ends here or there. Riley Nowakowski on scholarship, uh, mm-hmm. which is which is notable. Um, as I, I we, we kind of had the discussion. You're going to be putting out, I assume you're going to be putting out your depth chart tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to be doing it on Monday. I Monday, think okay. Tomorrow, I'm going to go with the uh, the biggest questions I have for Wisconsin out of oh. the spring. All right, so either way. I figure, well, that'll give us, I figure that'll give us some time to see who's actually in the portal. Yeah, that's, that's a probably a good choice. Probably <laughs> a good choice there. Um, but we were talking about it in terms of who would you put as your first string tight end. Yep. And the more I watched these last few weeks, the more it felt like Riley Nowakowski would be the number one guy at this point um, to go along, obviously, with Jack Pugh and Hayden Rucci and Jack Eschenbach, the guys that are obviously uh, healthy enough to take part right now. Riley Nowakowski's kind of, I don't want to say come out of nowhere. We know who he is. He played fullback, played a bunch of fullback last year, but making that transition to tight end, He's looked pretty darn good, and we know he can block, but he's also shown a little bit of uh, an ability to get out in in, in routes and, and catch passes and be dynamic there. Not dynamic, but be solid there to, to be at least a threat, and he gets a scholarship because of it. I think the scholarship really would signal to me that they believe he's got uh, a pretty bright future. Yeah, we had an opportunity to talk to the tight ends on Wednesday, and so I wrote about them earlier this week in The Athletic. And, I mean, it's really an interesting situation because – the the four tight ends that we've seen have all gotten first team reps at various stages. Jack Eschenbach, Jack Pugh, Hayden Rucci, Riley Nowakowski. And even that scrimmage on Saturday offered a good indication of sort of the, the versatility that they have, or at least the reason why they're evaluating so many guys. And that first drive with the second team offense, Jack Eschenbach catches a 22-yard pass down the field. Hayden Rucci polishes it off with an 11-yard touchdown catch. Nowakowski caught four passes during that scrimmage and three of them were on that final drive when Wisconsin went into its two minute drill. And then Jack Pugh was targeted more than any of those guys. I think he had six targets by my, by my count, but Nowakowski has really worked himself in here. And um, he even said that he feels like because of the style of offense they're playing, they have to have 
three or four tight ends that are going to play. And we know that Phil Longo loves to utilize the tight ends. And I referenced this in the story, but look at what he had at North Carolina last season. He had three tight ends that were significant contributors. All three played at least 360 snaps. North Carolina's tight ends had, they combined for 79 catches, 1,087 yards and eight touchdowns, uh, which both those, all those categories were like top five in the country. Now, I wouldn't expect to see that level of productivity from this group. But the, the point is, I think Longo's going to have a variety of players. And Nowakowski's different, obviously, from the rest. He's 6'1". You look at the the rest of the uh, roster for the spring, and the average tight end at Wisconsin is 6'5". But he's got that fullback background, so you know he's really good as a blocker. He played 120 snaps last season on offense. Didn't touch the ball. Didn't have a carry. Didn't have a reception. Uh, but you see some of that versatility that he has. and. Um, I mean, Nate Letton, the tight ends coach, really likes Nowakowski. He said he's had an awesome spring. He's He knows football as well as probably anybody on the team, and that's very high praise. And and we've seen how Longo feels about the quarterbacks. Knowledge earns reps. Uh, I think it's that way at some other positions too, and those are some of the reasons that uh, Riley Nowakowski is starting to emerge. So the other spot, though, that Luke Figgle talked about afterwards, and I kind of mentioned it, prior is the offensive line and what it's going to look like. And I think he was asked, are you just going to throw Jake Renfro back in there? He's your center. And then you kind of try and figure things out. And one, yes, he's our, he's our center, but there are, there's the uncertainty there that I kind of feel too. Like I, 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 again, I feel, I mean, if Jake Renfro is your center, okay, then that's, that's one spot. And then you have your left tackle in Jack Nelson and that's another spot. And then I think, uh, I guess you could say Riley Malman at right tackle. I don't think we've seen anybody challenge him in spring. But the two guard spots, I think, are, are kind of open, even if we did see Michael Furtney throughout the entire spring at right guard and Tanner Bordellini would probably have been the left guard throughout. I, it feels like there's still some moving pieces there. And so this is one of the questions that I have for the the story that's running Friday. And uh, Fickle's answer certainly uh, was illuminating and helped with this. But I agree because when we saw spring ball start, you, you – it was a, a top five that wasn't all that great surprise, right? Nelson's at left tackle, Bordellini at left guard, Renfro at center, Fertney at right guard, Malman at right tackle. But then Renfro suffered what Fickle said was a stress fracture in the fourth practice. So we didn't see him again. And that created some unexpected change. They slid Bordellini over to center. Initially, they put Trey Wedig at left guard. And it, what ended up happening was Joe Huber replaced Wedig at left guard with the first team group and Wedig ended up at right tackle with the twos. And that's my big question is if they like Huber enough, is he going to take one of the guard spots? That certainly feels like it's in play right now. I do think based on what Jack Bicknell Jr. has said that he he would like to have seven or eight guys as part of a rotation, which you may need with this the speed at which they play. But but Fickle, I mean, he said they they he wants to have the best five or the best seven. And they had an opportunity to see a lot of different combinations this spring. They don't want to spend a long time trying to figure it out in fall camp, which is what he said. Like maybe you can spend the first week, but you've got to have it locked in. So it'll be much more condensed in terms of trying to figure it out. But I feel the same way as you, Zach, in that I don't know that if if, uh, Renfro is healthy, you just automatically have the exact unit you started spring ball with if you believe someone like Huber is, is worthy of being in the top five. So that's where I think one of those guard spots could potentially be open. Although, Michael Furtney took all the snaps, so I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen. It is a good problem to have for Wisconsin, though, clearly. It is. And he mentioned that the fact that they had an ability to uh, practice three lines the entire spring, because for the most part, they did stay healthy. Outside of yeah. Jake Renfro, they they were pretty healthy, and they were able to go 
three deep across across it and allowed them to get a ton of snaps in, which maybe they wouldn't have been able to do um, at his past stops. So it is a it is a deep group with a lot of different options. Really anxious and interested to see how uh, that plays out. The other aspect of practice today was, and we're kind of caught off guard by it, but it was a, a kick scrimmage, right? It was, is, is that what uh, Fickle called it? What do you call it? He called it a, yeah, a kick scrimmage to end, to end spring where I thought that they were actually going to like actually scrimmage because they broke mm-hmm. up into teams. There was a red team and a, and a white team and they had these guys, they had the offensive linemen like changing jerseys. So it was like everybody that was wearing red because the offense usually wears red. So the offensive players were donning white jerseys and then some of the other offensive, uh, some of the defense players were going into white jerseys. It was, you know, it was a whole production there for about five minutes trying to figure out exactly what it was going to be. And essentially what it was, was live kickoff and punt and, and uh, field goal kicking. And it was more exciting than I thought it would be. Yes. Would you agree with that? I mean, this was, this was live, live, like guys getting absolutely laid out. CJ Williams got laid out on a punt return. Um, (laughs) It was a a flaggable offense. It was a very flaggable offense, but the place went absolutely nuts. That's as much energy as I've seen out of that team ever at a practice, um, not, not the hit, but like when they were about to go to it, they were excited as hell. Maybe it was because it was the last part of spring. That's probably a, uh, <laughs> probably a fair guess, but it was a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be. We saw kickoff, as I mentioned, punt, punt, return, kick, return, everything. Uh, but I think the thing that a lot of people are most curious about is the kicking game and Nathaniel Vakos and Nate Van Zelst, especially after what was a less than impressive uh, debut on in front of fans for both of them, I guess, uh, on Saturday in, in the um, in the launch. Vacos came back strong today. He was outstanding, and to me, this was a day where it showed this is why Wisconsin brought him in on scholarship. That's not something the Badgers or most teams do with specialists in general. Obviously, he had the credentials at Ohio last season; was one of the, the top freshman kickers in the country. But he was coming off a day on Saturday. Granted, not great conditions. He only made one of three field goals. He ended up making seven of eight field goals on Thursday. They did a, They did some different sequences. So there was one sequence where they had Vacos with the first team. He took four field goals from 33, 38, 43, 48. He made them all. And then they had Van Zels do the same thing. Um, and then they had some a, a few different life situations where he got a field goal or two, and then they closed with another series. But, I mean... He made from 48. He made from 49. There was one. He missed a 43-yarder, but he came right back and drilled a 45-yarder. And then on the very last play of spring practice, just buried a 50-yarder from between the hashes. So I thought he was outstanding. It was not as great of a day for Nate Van Zelst. By my count, he made six of 10 field goals. He made three out of four during that first session. He missed a 43-yarder, but he came back and made a 48-yarder. And then there was a a little bit of a rough patch there late. Uh, He had a he had a 30-yarder that bounced off the right crossbar and went through, but he missed a 38-yarder. Ricardo Holman came off the edge and had just a fantastic block. So that was a 43-yarder that was blocked, and then uh, Van Zels also missed a 45-yarder. A so, yeah, 7 for 8 for Vakos, 6 for 10 for Van Zels, and Gavin Lam attempted one from 51 that that he missed wide. Um, but I think you've got to – you feel a little bit better after seeing what Vakos was able to do, and that's why they brought him in. Picking game in a lot better spot than the punting game. I would say so. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and Fickle's actually in charge of the punting, so I, I, I assume that that is probably even more so on his mind than than even it would be. Though obviously, the head coach has to have a 
overview of everybody, but yeah, when his punt team is looking the way it did today, I'm sure he wasn't overly pleased with it. I don't know if this is too behind the scenes. Maybe it's something I shouldn't even mention, and you could tell me if I'm wrong here. But when that bat signal came out today on Twitter from him, <laughs> he was sitting in front of us talking. He was, hmm. we, were, we were in the press conference. Yeah. And I, I mentioned it. I joked with him afterwards. Uh, I mentioned it to Brian Lucas, Lucas and then he, he saw it and he goes, oh, you didn't see that? I was doing that underneath the table. You didn't see that? <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, he may not be the one that's doing the bat signal. He may not be the one that's in control of that uh, that account <laughs> all the time, which uh, should not be a big surprise whatsoever because I imagine there's not too many head coaches that uh, are on and doing that themselves all the time. No, maybe. My, yeah. Probably Brett Bielma because he's got he's got to do the blocking and that type of stuff. So he 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 probably doesn't have anybody doing that for him. But yeah. So the final final practice today. Anything else that stood out for you? Well, this is minor, I think, but it was a note that I had in my takeaways because I don't remember Wisconsin necessarily doing this on kickoff. That they've got two return guys back there, um, and they had C.J. Williams and Shimmery D.K. working in one tandem, and, and Will Pauling and Finney Anthony working on another tandem. Um, you know, normally you just see, I think, one guy as the return man, but they've obviously got some good options. They've used those people on punt returns, too, and kick returns. I don't I'm really interested to see is is Chimri really going to be the number one on both of these and with the first team offense? That feels like <laughs> a lot, but he's he really was consistently the number one on the on the both of those. But I think Will Pauling will be involved and uh, and maybe Williams and Anthony. So. Not something major, but I did notice that that was a little bit different to have two guys back there. I don't know how you feel about it, but unless they are just the most electric returner, like they're Devin uh, Hester or Deion Sanders or insert Hall of Fame returner here, I don't see the value of putting a number one back there. So like Jim Leonard, Jim Leonard was a great punt returner, right? Throw him back there. Jared Aberderis, a very good punt returner, also a very good receiver. Throw him on back there. Is Chimray DK? I guess we I guess we haven't necessarily seen a ton of it. He got a he got a rep in the bowl game, but I I just feel like the risk doesn't equal the reward, or the the risk is greater than the reward. I I don't know. Obviously, I'm going to trust the coaching staff to make the best decision. I think DK ended up with five returns that were recorded last season, and he averaged almost 30 yards a return. Uh, now some of that's bolstered by I think he had a really long return in the bowl game, right? Yeah. Um, but. Uh, I, I'm I'm really interested to see. Uh, I didn't really think I'd be talking about the the kick return game at the end of this uh, last practice, but uh, look, I feel like we've learned an awful lot about this team. Kudos to them for opening it up for us to watch all 15 practices. But there are still a lot of unanswered questions, even as we uh, get out of this and get ready for fall camp. Well, do you want to hit me with some of those questions that you got left, or do you want to save that for uh, your article? Because I didn't want I didn't want to expose your article the the behind the paywall to to the masses here Nah, that's fine i mean we we've addressed most of them already i think another question that i would have is simply what happens when some of these injured guys return to the lineup and uh fickle talked about it a little bit just in terms of not being able to fully evaluate some people who who were out but we talked about renfro we mentioned the tight ends but didn't didn't really talk about clay cundiff like I might even put him at number one, assuming he's healthy, just based on his his track record. He was a starter last season. I think he can do a little bit of everything and give Phil Longo what he wants out of the tight end spot. But the question is, I mean, how long will it take to get in shape? How long will it take to learn everything? 
Bryson Green at wide receiver, and, and even Darian Varner, who Fickle was asked about earlier in the spring, thinks he can add some real explosiveness to the defensive line. I think they could use another body there, um, but I, I don't know what his injury status is going to be. Obviously, he didn't participate in, in spring practice, had a boot on his foot. So that would be another question that I have, because I and those are good problems to have for Wisconsin. I do think there will be a shakeup at some of these positions because the talent is too good with a handful of these guys who were hurt all spring. For sure. I I would agree with Clay Cundiff. I, I do. I, I think he's got the ability to be a difference maker at tight end. He just has to get past the fluky injuries. Yes. Because they are fluky. It's not like it's not like a hamstring or you know, something that just happens every time you like make a cut or it's some kind of non-contact injury. It was just horrible timing twice. I think anybody in that situation is gonna get hurt. Yeah, I think anybody in that situation is going to get hurt, and he just has uh, that bad luck. Um, this is—I I, I don't think injury prone is the right term to use for him. So um, I'm anxious to see what he's got when he gets back, and I'm sure Wisconsin is as well. If you were to potentially find a—not that there is in the portal at this point—but like a dynamic tight end, could that be another one? If you've got somebody that can add value, I think you pursue it. Um, I think. Based on the way Nay Letton talked, and it's not like he's going to go out and speak to the public and say he doesn't like his group, but I really feel like he's he thinks he's got some good pieces. It's a mix of body types. It's a mix of talent level. I, I, I was very impressed with Jack Pugh for the most part during this spring. But if you've got a dynamic guy who's readily available, I don't I don't see why you wouldn't at least pursue it. I do think there's at least uh, some good pieces to work with. But we've said that before about tight end at Wisconsin, too. We definitely have. We definitely have. So um, what we're going to do is going to cut this episode now, but then next week after maybe some of the dust settles in terms of guys going into the portal, we'll be back. We'll break down the depth charts and uh, where things stand after spring. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll do a little Q and a episode. And then uh, also John McNamara is going to join to talk a little more uh, in-depth recruiting. Um, so excited for that. Jesse, this has been awesome for all spring. I appreciate you spending your uh, a couple of days a week with me. I wish I could have you all the time, but uh, certainly appreciate all the time that you spent and, and uh, you make the show. So uh, I do appreciate your time. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. It was certainly the most entertaining spring I can ever remember. And uh, I think the good news is fans are still hungry to see what's actually going to take place in September. And I am too. Yeah, going to be great. All right. There is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.